What gives you joy this morning? You know, we come here as a church family, and we really are a mixed bag. Uh, We're a mixed bag of emotions. So yesterday, you can see the flowers here. We said goodbye to one of our dear sisters, Betty Ann Boyd, and we grieve. Uh, We grieve with Larry. We grieve with the family. Uh, But there are others here among us, as Joel just mentioned in his prayer, who are brokenhearted, and you come here with some sort of crisis, and maybe you carry that silently as we sing and pray and open up the Scriptures. And yet there's another category here as well, Uh, people who are celebrating, uh, people who are uh, enjoying life. Everything is aligned at the home and and with the family, and with work, and, and there is cause for celebration there. And I want to say that both those emotions, lament and celebration, are appropriate to bring here in the assembly. Uh, we see it in the Psalms. We see those emotions. We find the whole spectrum of emotions in the Psalms. Sometimes we even find it within the same psalm. Uh, Psalm 89, for example, starts off on such a high note, and then by the end of Psalm 89, it is the lowest of the lows. We really are, as human beings, a mixed bag. But there's a word that really belongs to the church. We find it in Scripture, and I think this word speaks to both emotions, both to lament, both to celebration, and that is the word joy. Because of the empty tomb, the followers of Jesus experience joy. Not just happiness, but joy. There are moments of happiness in life. Uh, There are moments when things are going well, but happiness is, is so tied to circumstances, or maybe an escape from circumstances. But joy is different. Uh, Joy really comes from looking at our circumstances from an eternal perspective. Joy comes from serving in the kingdom of God. Joy comes from recognizing God's work among us, even in the most dire circumstances. So this morning, as we come here as a church family with a mixed bag of emotions, what brings you joy? Where do you find your joy this morning? Well, when you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, you can't help but overhear this overflow of joy from Paul's heart as he's moved by the Spirit. Uh, Paul has a special relationship with the people of Philippi, so if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 4, that's where we're going to be in our sermon this morning. Philippi was the first stop the first big stop for Paul whenever he received the Macedonian call and that vision to go to Europe and to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. But Paul's mission in Greece was, well, it was heavy lifting. It was very difficult. And from the outside looking in, it really looked like a mission of failure as he was driven out of cities and he was beaten and humiliated. It was a mission of rejection. That first venture into Europe could be really labeled as a tilling of the soil kind of mission. And I imagine that for Paul and Silas and for those who were with them, there were some long days and some sleepless nights as they traveled there in Europe. 
But the church in Philippi was special. And thanks to the book of Acts, we have names and faces that are attached to the church in Philippi. Uh, you have Lydia, the seller of purple goods, the first baptism in Europe. You also have the slave woman who had that, she had that spirit of divination. And, and Paul exercised that spirit of divina, uh, divination. And uh, from that, there is this confrontation between Paul and the Roman authorities. You have the Philippian jailer who was seconds away from taking his own life and then Paul and Silas share the good news and later on they share the good news with his family. We have other names in the letter. Iodia, Syntyche, Clement. Philippi was a special place. Philippi was a group of special people. So over the next few weeks we're going to work through this letter but we're going to look at Philippians through a different angle. We're looking at it through the lens of bringing people to faith. There's a missional lens in which we're working through Philippians. And this is one of the four statements of who we are as a people here. We are people who are devoted to, as you see on our banners, worshiping God, bringing people to faith, conforming to the image of Jesus, and caring for people in need. And we spent a lot of time on bringing people to faith as of late, reminding us of our identity in this mission. And the way we're going to work through Philippians is through a series called Missional Spirituality. Missional Spirituality. Because when we read Paul's letters, we see that he is greatly concerned for the spirituality of the church. Now, we hear the word spirituality, and that conjures up all kinds of images, especially in 2023 uh, here in Austin, Texas. Uh, spirituality is kind of a buzzword these days, and it speaks to how people connect with the transcendent, uh, that which is bigger than us. Uh, it's heavily influenced by Eastern religions, where there's this separation between our spiritual world and the physical world. And I would say the modern use of spirituality really has uh, an individualistic flavor where everyone kind of chooses their own path. But in Scripture, and especially in Paul's letters, spirituality is a group project. Spirituality is about the transformation, not just of a person, but it's of a people. It's community transformation. Uh, spirituality is about our maturing in the faith and, and growing in love and our relationships with one another. And for Paul, spirituality of the church was the greatest witness to the world. Uh, we saw that last week in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, where Paul gets into a little meddling here. He says, Do, do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Not grumbling, not disputing is really part of our witness to the world. Our spirituality is not just for ourselves, it's for the sake of the world. I, I heard Mel one time in a class, he said, we are in the world but not of the world, but sent into the world. 
Our missional spirituality draws the gaze of people to their Creator. So here's where we're headed in this series. Last week we looked at missional holiness uh, from the first part of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Today we're going to look at missional giving. And that's where we're headed in the weeks to come. Thinking about Paul's letter as part of the mission of the church to bring people to faith. And this, of course, includes our giving, as we'll see in our sermon text in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. So last week we camped out at the beginning of the letter. Today we're going to camp out at the end. So let's hear the word of God from Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. This is how Paul ends the letter. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word. Gift giving. Are you a good gift giver? You might want to ask someone else. I'm going to confess something this morning. My family and my friends know this. I am not very good at giving gifts. Uh, with my family, it is hit and miss. It's just not something I think about. It's not something on my radar. It's not my love language, to use the popular phrase these days. Which is why when I was watching a certain episode of Leave it to Beaver with my kids on MeTV at 7 o'clock in the morning this last year, we were getting ready and there was Leave it to Beaver on television. And Well, let me give you the synopsis of this episode, but it, it hit a little too close to home for me. June Cleaver was having a birthday. Her son Beaver wanted to outdo his older brother in giving a gift. And something terrible caught his eye in the store. Well, it wasn't terrible to Beaver. It was a blouse. A golden, shiny blouse 
with stitching of the landmarks of Paris embroidered in this blouse. All 16 landmarks. It was gaudy, hideous, obnoxious. It was perfect. And it fit within Beaver's budget. And when the time came for his mother to open presents, Beaver had a look of pride. He was watching her open it, and he was excited to see her reaction. And June Cleaver did what every good mother does whenever she opens a present. She lied. (laughs) She told him how wonderful this blouse looked, and she couldn't wait to wear it. Well, her opportunity came sooner than she was hoping because Beaver suggested that she wear it at the next weekly women's gathering. And she agreed, only to change into another blouse as soon as she left Beaver's sight. And through a great plot twist, Beaver finds out in a horrible way that his mom was truly embarrassed of the birthday present that he thought was so wonderful. But for June Cleaver, it was not the gift that counted. It was the thought she was proud of her son for the gift that he had given. It's not the gift that counts. It's the thought. Now, I've been on the giving end and receiving end of that particular phrase. But upon reading our sermon passage, it might seem as though Paul was telling the Philippians the same thing. One might even say that Paul seems a little dismissive toward this gift that the Philippians had given to him through Epaphroditus. I didn't really need the gift, he says. That's not much of a thank you letter. I didn't really need this. I've learned the secret to be content in all situations, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full. And then you have that bumper sticker verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But let's back up a little bit and look closely at Paul's situation. For all this talk about the joy that he's experiencing and all of the rejoice language that we find in Philippians, we also find Paul talking about his situation. Paul is in chains. Philippians is a prison letter. In fact, Philippians is one of the last letters that Paul writes. And for prisoners in the ancient world, they were completely dependent upon resources from outsiders for food, for clothing, for the comforts of this world that could be provided. We get a more detailed picture of life in prison in what, in what many believe to be the last letter of Paul, 2 Timothy, uh, that letter that Robert Bluthman took us through earlier in the summer. If you want to turn just a few letters to the right of Philippians, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He gives us some insight as to what's going on in prison. Beginning in verse 9, he tells young Timothy, Do your best to come to me soon. And then if you skip on down to verse 13 of chapter 4, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Bring my coat. And to reiterate the earlier point, 2 Timothy 4, Verse 21, do your best, Timothy, to come before winter. Now, most people see these last words of 2 Timothy as Paul's last written words before his execution. 
But Paul's in chains and he knows that winter is coming and he knows it's going to be most unpleasant. And he says, bring my coat, Timothy, and come before winter. That can only be supplied by friends and family from the outside. So back to Philippians. Paul, a prisoner completely dependent upon outsiders, receives this gift from a church whom he loves. His partners in the gospel, from the moment he met them, he knew they were special people. This church in Philippi had always been there for Paul. And for him, this gift moves him to write this letter. Philippians really could be called a thank you letter because this gift has moved him to joy. But maybe not in the type of joy that we would normally expect. And It's not that Paul doesn't appreciate the gift. In fact, he says, it's a good thing that you shared in my trouble. The word there is related to koinonia. It's, it's uh, the sharing that we read about in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, where, where nobody was in need because everyone shared everything. And the Philippians shared. They had fellowship with Paul's suffering in their missional giving. The gift was timely. The gift was good. It wasn't some gaudy, unwearable piece of clothing. It was actually helpful to Paul in his difficult circumstances. But what Paul is saying here at the end of this letter, this thank you letter, is that the joy that he is experiencing doesn't come from the gift. As much as he appreciates it, it doesn't come from the gift. Paul is not really interested in the gift itself. It's not the gift that counts. It really is the thought that counts for Paul. We see this in verse 17 with his heart overflowing with joy. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And throughout this part of the letter, Paul uses the language of commerce. And he talks about profit and credit and payment and receipt. But in verse 17, the word that's often translated profit is literally fruit. Paul is moved to joy because of the fruit that's being produced in the Philippians. He's watching them grow up before his eyes. He's watching them come to maturity. That's what makes the pain worth it. That's what makes his prison sentence worth it. That he really wasn't spinning his wheels and wasting his time with these churches. Especially that church in Philippi. This group of Gentiles, this group of house churches living among the pagans. They get it. The church in Philippi. They get it. And for these Christians in Philippi, the gospel was not just some head thing. They were true partners in the gospel. And the gift that they had given Paul, well, for Paul the gift was neither here nor there. I can relate to that to a degree. When it comes to the late, these late birthdays that I'm having and Christmas time, I appreciate the gift, but the gift is almost neither here nor there for me. I appreciate the gifts from my family and my friends, but what I really appreciate is the act of giving. It's the act of love. It's the gesture that matters. It's the thought that counts. 
And the true gift of Paul was that this tiny group of believers had rallied around him again and sacrificially joined him in the suffering through this missional giving. And their growth and their maturity and their witness and their embodiment of the gospel is this tangible gift that brings Paul joy. And in many ways it validated his mission because I can imagine there were times for Paul when he was wondering... Is this really worth it? Am I doing the right thing? Things are so hard. Am I seeing any fruit produced in these churches? Well, the proof is in the pudding. Here is the church of Philippi and their generous spirit. So I'm going to close this morning with where we started. Where do you find joy? Where does your joy come from? There are lots of sources for our joy. Family gatherings, friends. What we're going to do tonight at Eastside, I don't know about you, I find a lot of joy in being with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But I imagine that for most of us, joy comes from our participation in something that really matters in this world. That our joy comes from participating in making the lives of others better. That our joy comes from participating in the kingdom work of this world. And part of that joy, no doubt, is our missional giving, our missional sharing with brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, in some ways, spirituality, the way we use it in our modern sense, here in Austin, Texas, it can be hard to quantify. How do you measure the spiritual health of a person? How do you measure the spiritual health of a people? Well, there are some ways we can measure the spiritual temperature, and it comes through maybe a list of questions questions that we need to answer honestly, and if you can't answer honestly, you might want another pair of eyes, a spouse, a friend, a confidant. But here are some examples of some questions when we think about spirituality and we think about where we were and where we are now. Am I more loving? Am I less easily angered on Highway 35? Do I think of others' needs before my own needs? Am I more present with others? Am I more joyful? Am I more prayerful? Do I spend more time in the Word and in service? And you can go through the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How have I grown in those specific areas But in looking at the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, Do not lay treasures on earth, but lay treasures in heaven. And certainly here at the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, part of the way we measure spirituality has to be our generosity. Am I more generous? Am I less tight-fisted with money when it comes to helping others? Am I more giving? 
The late Fred Craddock has a quote, and I've shared this quote before, but I think it is worth sharing again. He said, the final work of grace is to make one gracious. The final work of grace, when grace has really gone into the heart and taken root, the final act of grace is to make one gracious. That's transformation. It's not just gratitude, but it's also our generosity. When the gospel takes root in our hearts, the gospel story, the story that we rehearsed earlier when, when Steve led us in that read and response from Philippians chapter 2, the story of the Messiah, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he did what? He emptied himself, became human, he became a servant, he was obedient to death, even death on the cross. The gospel is the story of immeasurable generosity and sacrificial love. And this is the story that shapes us as a people. And when that story grabs a hold of us, it can't help but overflow to our giving. And it certainly can't help overflow to our joy. When we think about a community, a family that shares together. Brentwood Oaks is a congregation of joy. And I've witnessed it through the years. I've witnessed it time and time again. I've witnessed the generosity of this church sometimes from a spectator looking in, sometimes on a very personal level being on the receiving end of such generosity. This is a church family that participates in missional giving. It is a powerful witness to our Austin neighbors, and when you think about it, to the world. But we never arrive. And the question for us to leave us with this morning is where is God calling us as a body to greater missional giving for this mission that God has entrusted to us here in North Austin and then even beyond that, past these walls, past our borders? Where is God calling us to greater missional giving? You think about our spiritual ancestors in Philippi, and how the Spirit was transforming them. How the grace that they had grabbed a hold of was truly making them more gracious. We're on that same journey. We have that same Spirit within us. May God continue to help us grow as we continue to increase. Not only in our numbers, but in our gracious Spirit. As a witness to the world. As a witness to our Austin neighbors. If you'd like to respond to the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, uh, the one who truly gave it all for us, uh, we invite you to respond as we stand and as we sing.